this is the Education Show, unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration. Proudly brought to you by Zabuza.net. And it is the Education Show, and uh, what a special guest I've got today, Makuru Machaba. Hello, and how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And you, David? I am exceptionally well, thank you. Uh, being Women's Month, being the Education Show, this is, uh, well, Women's Month. thought we'd talk to somebody who's done some amazing, amazing things in her life. Makuru, let's start right at the very beginning. Tell me a little bit uh, about yourself, because I know you've faced quite a few challenges on your road so far. Yeah, true. Uh, as you have indicated, I'm Makuru Machaba. Uh, Grew up in a village, rural area of Limpopo, um, and I was a firstborn of my other four siblings. Growing up was not easy because, um, firstly, going to school during that time, everybody knows, we didn't have resources, we didn't have proper classrooms. We were going to school in church halls. We were doing platooning system. Some will go in the morning. Some will go in the afternoon. When I was doing my higher primary, um, I had to travel plus minus eight kilometers where we usually crossed uh, a river. And during rainy seasons, it was tough. Uh, bigger peers had to carry us on their backs. Sometimes we'll go to school without shoes because you only get shoes once a year. If they get torn, then uh, it's done. Or even twice after, after biannually, not really once in a year. So depending on what parents can afford. Um, it was not easy. And yeah, I don't know if I should continue from here. I'd, I'd like you to, because as I said, when I, when I first uh, was reading up about uh, you and your life, and you've done such amazing things. I mean, you talk about walking eight kilometers to school, yeah. um, no, no shoes. Um, apparently, you had to use a rice sack as a school bag. Um, and yes. taking you way back, yes. you, you wrote on slates as well. I mean, that is, wow, I can't believe that. So, so take it from there because I know you had a big challenge at the age of 15. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a bright child in the, in the classroom. And when I was doing my standard six in 1988, uh, I did it uh, with standard uh seven at the same year which means i was i was doing two grades in one year uh but unfortunately i was in class with bigger girls due to peer pressure i fell prey of having a boyfriend and i was pregnant uh, at the age of 15 which wow. was not cool at all and i was doing my form three when i got pregnant my principal was very devastated and my teachers were very devastated by that because it's like I let them down. My parents couldn't just believe because they were just looking at me as my little their little girl who was still innocent. Um, I did my Form 3 and 
well, I had to drop at the end of that year. Okay, well, sure. That's a bit, uh, it's a, bit of a, a, a challenge. So, so what happened? Obviously, you couldn't complete your schooling then. Yes, I dropped out at the end of, of my uh, standard uh, 10, standard 8, I mean, yeah, standard 8, not grade 10. Standard <laughs> 8, I dropped out and then I had to, <laughs> I had to go back home stay look after my baby the pregnancy continued I, I got I, I I gave birth in June um and for six months I was at home a, a little mom very tiny got the support from my mom who was very strict about uh, me not getting another pregnancy so he she was just there to make sure that I'm home I'm looking after the kid and I'm doing the duties of being a mother uh, it was very challenging because it's then that I got the reality of what was going on. Being a mother, looking after a baby while I was still um, look, being looked after, it was very challenging. Then uh, the following year, when my baby was seven months, my mom took over because uh, my principal was very um, confident that I can make it. Then she came. Ho he came home to speak to my parents and ask them to look for after my baby so that I can come back to school and finish. Yes, uh, the following year uh, I went to school. I did my standard nine, and it was hard because my mom was very strict with me, and I regard her as my hero because whatever she did then, I thought she was I was being punished. But when I look back, it taught me a whole lot of responsibility. Because I had to study, go back home, look after the baby. At at night, I had to write the assignments. I still had to do the household chores, all of them. Because it was, um, my mom was looking after two kids. Because they were, my younger sister and my daughter were born in the same year. So during the day, she would say, no, 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 I can't be able to do anything in the, in, in the house. Then you go wake up four o'clock, do the household chores uh, before you go to school. When you come back from school, you, you, you still you remember we were using the the the, the nappies, the cloth nappies. So I'll find the cloth nappies of two babies, and I had to wash them before I can do any other thing. And still, I had to do my homeworks and study. And that year, believe me, I managed to top up uh, my two classes of the standard nine, being the top learner for that year. Uh, because my mom was just on my neck to say, you are going to study, you are going to make it. And then my childhood was disrupted in a way. So I became responsible. I, I became um, um, a responsible mom, knowing that I have a baby. When I did my grade 10, it was first time and then I got my metric. Yeah, then responsibility started then. And I think having a baby at that time also motivated me a lot. Because what went through my mind was, I don't want my baby to go through what I have gone through. I must work harder than I think so that I make life better for her and I also make life better for me as well. And I tell her all the truth. You know, when we were growing up, it was challenging because we were never told, taught about life skills. And uh, our parents would just tell us, are you working with boys? Do you know boys have babies in their pockets? And every time you walk with a boy, when they put their hands in their pockets, you just want to see if they will come up with a baby. And it wasn't <laughs> like that. 
<laughs> so yeah, it was challenging. So I uh, the the opposite was this, the uh, was her with me and how I raised my daughter. The minute I realized that now she's becoming a little teen, she started menstruating. I taught her everything she had to know. Which I think is absolutely wonderful. And I mean, just, just hearing your story so far and the things that you've gone through and the fact that, you know, you had a baby at that age and it's just absolutely amazing. And I mean, you went as far as in order to study for your, your teaching diploma, you actually um, had to take on domestic work as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did because um, actually as the first child and a girl child during that time, you know, our culture was not uh, much on girls and having a baby was also discouraging to my daddy as well because he thought if he takes me to school, then I would be going out to have another child. So the, their trust, their level of trust was low on my uh, success, uh, thinking that I'm going to, I, I think I broke their trust by having the baby at that age. And it was a very difficult situation and he was the only person working in the household looking after his household of uh, at that time we were f uh, four kids and uh the siblings his his own siblings so life was tough and looking back uh how i made a blunder in life and how people looked at me and thought my future was normal because now I'm a mother. I had to make it a point that uh, it's, it's up to me to make a change, to make a turnaround. So uh, at one stage, I remember I, have, I, I didn't want to be a teacher. That's one thing for sure. Never. When my, my peers were going uh, to colleges around my area, which were just opened, uh, Napuno College and Sohoseso College, I didn't want to go there because I never wanted to be a teacher. Looking how, teach, uh, how teachers struggled then when they had to put a board on a chair, wipe and write, uh, wipe and write, and then sitting on the floor. I, did, I, I didn't see it as a profession that I would, it would make me somebody um, different or somebody successful. So, and how during the riots around 1986, 88, teachers were disrespected, things were tough for the teachers. I never wanted to be a teacher. So when my peers went for colleges, I, I stayed at home. I think after my matric, I stayed for a year, studied for one year in one business college in town, Integrity Business College, and then my father had to pay for that. And unfortunately, I had to drop out around us because he couldn't pay. Uh, my life was full of crisis, and I always cried every day because I wanted to go to school. But being a teacher was not an option. Then um, I remember in 1994, I went to Alexander. Uh, when I got there, um, I arrived at my auntie's place. It was tough. We lived in a shack. <laughs> uh, I think it was the four of us. Uh, a shack was not enough. So if you are sleeping at night, uh, no movement. Because if you are moving around, then you are going to step on other people's heads. So it was tough. <laughs> wow. So yeah. I, decided, I decided to go and look for a job and any other kind of job. 
I remember when I was in um, Jobek uh, looking for a job, and remember I was just doing job hunting door to door. Yeah, just like that. Um, and it was the time for Inkata, right? And the, the, sh- the shooting started. I just heard the shotguns coming from somewhere around uh, Park Station. Just we, we were just running around getting any taxi which would carry us back. We don't know where, but any taxi which would stop, we would just push ourselves inside. Fortunately, the taxi I got in was going to Alexandra. So I went back to Alexandra and I thought to myself, I will never go back to Jovek anytime, any soon, because uh, we had a case of one of our relatives who was shot during the riots. He nearly lost his life. Fortunately, he, suffi- he survived. So I told myself I'm not going anywhere near Jovek anytime soon. So I went to look for domestic work around um Starbucks in Alexander, and I worked there in Marlboro. Uh, it was a slip in. I was paid a little money, and my aunt was asking me, "What are you going to do with that money?" And I just told her, "I am going to school." Uh, and he was shocked. Being paid 150 a month, how are you going to make it for your school fees? And I said, "I will save it because they're giving me accommodation." Day. <sighs> Unfortunately, my mom came. He was. She was very worried about my well-being. And on that day, I had I just felt I need to go to my auntie's place. And fortunately, I found my mom there because they didn't have my number where I was working. They didn't even know where I was working. Um, my mom was very worried. When I entered, I remember she cried because she was kind of hopeless if she was going to find me again. She spoke to me and then I told her about my job and how I wanted to go to school. Because uh, nobody had the money to take me to school. I was um, having um, admission at the University of Venda in 1993. And I didn't have the money for accommodation and for um, food. Because I applied uh, to the company where my father worked. They gave me only children money. And that children money was going to be deducted from his salary. And looking at his salary, uh, knowing that the tuition will be deducted bit by bit, and she had all, he had also to take care of other siblings of mine, it was tough. So my mom begged me to, to stop working, and then he will talk to my father, and then they will make a plan. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Um, I gave them the number of my, the house that I was working at, and my father called me and begged me to come back home because I will apply and then he will make a plan. Yes, I did. When I went back home, um, I applied and I was, um, I got a reply from the Technicon Pretoria, former uh, Technology of, of, uh, University of Technology. It's now uh, University of Technology. So when I got there, I wrote the aptitude test and then I made it. now the fees, the accommodation money, the fees, the everything there. As a first year student, we had to pay because we, before we can get the TEFSA. At that time, it was TEFSA. So I think it was amounting to plus minus eleven thousand. Everything all inclusive. My father said, "I can't afford it, not at all." And then it was back to square one, right? So I just packed my bags. 
went where he, he was staying. He was working in, in one of the big companies in, in, in Ranfontein, Tiger Brands now. It was Delmas at that time. When I got there, he asked me what was I looking for there. And I told him I want to go to school. And then he said he doesn't have money and I just cried. And that was it. And I, I just knew it was a way out. I just had to cry to go to school. And at that time, I realized now that if I don't go for teaching, which was the cheapest, I would end up without a profession. Then, wow. uh, my first year, I, I, I went to um, my new technical college, which was in Dobstonville. I did educate. I saw it on the newspaper. And I just went there because the registration, I think it was 680 at that time. Uh, I went to stay with one of my relatives in Midlands. Um, yeah, it was a diff it was a difficult situation. I was traveling to and from Midlands Zone Eight to Dobsonville uh, every day. Be before I went to Midlands, I was traveling to Mutlakeng using a train uh, from Randfontein Station, Randfontein Station to Rodiport, taking a taxi to Manu, and then it was a lot of money. Then I had to stay with my relatives, and then I stayed there for a year. I did educate, but I realized we were doing entry, which was relevant to um, metric. And we approached the management that can't they start us in the following year with a, a level that is equivalent to uh, what we are supposed to do? And they said, no, 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 this is the system. This is how we are working. You have to work like this. During that year, I applied. My friends told me about um, Soweto College, and then I, I applied with my other friends, and then we applied, and then I was the only one taken. Then the following year, then I went to study at the Soweto College. That was my first year. Then I had to go and stay somewhere uh, in Midlands on television because there was a train station near. It was my relatives as well. Uh, so I traveled using a train. Uh, I was working harder, but very confused and frustrated because I never wanted to be a teacher. My first year was just a hell. I, I was just not sure, but I, I knew I had to study something. During my first practice teaching, I did it at Uville Community School. Now, there were two different worlds where I went to school and now a well-resourced school. Something in my mind told me, you have to change the situation. How? I didn't know. Then I started to be in love with teaching because I knew I had a task to do, to change, to revolutionize everything. Makudu, and I, when I Makudu, started working, okay. Sorry, Makudu. <laughs> I, I'm not normally quiet as, or as quiet during interviews, but... Your story so far is absolutely amazing. I mean, once you got your qualification, I believe it took you five years to actually get yeah. a job as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. Had to, to work as a street vendor. <laughs> ah, very okay. difficult situation. It was. And then you, 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 you were still... At that stage, then you became the eldest person in the family that was able to work. So you had to then look after your siblings... Uh, you were working yes. as you were working as a street vendor, and when you finally yes. you finally got your teaching post, it was seventy five kilometers, I believe, from home. I mean, wow! Yeah. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, not, um, yeah, I think it's 75 kilometers to and fro, if I guessed right, because uh, I had to use a bus. Five o'clock in the morning, I must be awake to catch a bus to work. I, actually, the bus was leaving at five o'clock, so I had to wake up earlier than that. Uh, I think four o'clock. And I was very excited, right? Very much excited. That time we were paid after three months <laughs> because I was a temporary teacher. So I started working in February. My first pay came out in April. Yeah. And <laughs> I had to borrow money from people to help me to go to work and uh, stuff like that. Then my first uh, salary, because it was for the first time me having that kind of money, it was so much. and. It helped a lot because I had my first home that was under my name and I had uh, to share it with my siblings. I had to, at that time, I already had two kids, right? Because I got married. Unfortunately, my marriage was not um, so good. It was just chaos. Had to look after the kids, had to look after my siblings with the money. Worked for that year and the post got terminated towards the end of the year. The following year, they called me back again to work. I went back to work. Uh, I remember now the money was not, no longer enough. Then every morning before I go to school, I will wake up around 3.30. Before I go to sleep, I will make a dough for the, for fat cakes. Then I will mm. hold them in a container so that I can sell them in a bus when I'm going to work. Uh, on my way, then it will be bought and then the, the remaining will be sold at, at work. And I started my, my knitting projects because I needed more income. Knitting projects started, which has, I'm still doing even today. And I'm still assisting other women who happens to come from challenging situations where I will donate the wools show them how it is done. But bit by bit, um, life started changing. And the whole process, I think it has, it has taught me a whole lot of responsibility, how to take care of myself, how to take care of everybody else who depends on me. And ultimately, I started to being business-minded. I will do anything that will give me extra income. Uh, in the form of working with my hands, thinking of ideas, working for networking, uh, marketing companies to get extra income. Okay, I think, again, I'm, I'm almost speechless about what you had to go through. And what is so interesting to me is, you know, with you look, if you look at your background and how challenging it was, your whole mission is now to... to make sure that the opposite is true for your students, that they don't have to go through those kind of hardships. And I mean, you've done some amazing things. And talk to me about, about because you've gotten, you started off with a single cell phone for internet access in your classes. Uh, then you managed to get some uh, laptops from uh, the ISPA Super Teacher Awards uh, and Microsoft, the government. I believe you've now introduced your students. And this, to me, I think, you know, if I consider your background, I, I think it's amazing. You've introduced them to Minecraft. Now, what is that uh, all about? Yeah. Uh, when I looked at them, remember, when I was doing my practice teaching um, and uh, 
knowing my background, it was the opposite worlds. It was like South Africa was two worlds where other learners who are disadvantaged are going to, not going to compete with their peers across the globe, while others who are from advantaged background will make it uh, because they will be coming from well-resourced institutions. So it pained me because I know the journey and I know some of my peers who didn't make it in life, not because they didn't want to make it, because they were just discouraged by the situation and the background, right? And I asked myself, uh, with the courage that I had, uh, what more about the learners who don't have the courage? It means South Africa will remain a country with kids who are frustrated, confused, not having courage, not having anything to do with their lives. Then I just started from there. Because I remember uh, I attended a conference, the SchoolNet conference in St. John's College, paid all expenses paid by Koza Kess Foundation then, now Bella Metrics Foundation. The opposite was more of the case because St. John's College is one of the top schools in South Africa with well-resourced from kindergarten to college. It pained me a lot. Then when I went back to work, I told myself that it is up to somebody to make a difference. And that somebody, it's me. And it doesn't matter what I have. Let me just work with what I have to make a difference. So I don't have to blame shift. I don't have to point anyone with a finger to say he's not doing their job. I had to do what I ought to do. Hence, I did whatever that I did to introduce, to expose my learners, to introduce them to ICT because according to the, to the education policy, which is uh, e-learning policy in South Africa, uh, we were supposed to be at phase three by 2013. Phase three meaning all schools in South Africa were supposed to be digitally equipped and learners be competent. So I studied the policy myself and I implemented what I can. And I did, even today, I think my learners are at tertiary, at, the, um, uh, at high school, they still look up to me. They come to me for help. They look up to me for as, a, as, as their motivation because I, al I always motivated them. I told them my story and I encouraged them. I told them it doesn't matter where you come from. You need to know what you want and go after your dreams. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, so you did, as I said, Minecraft, which I always thought was, was just a, a game uh, that people played. But you've also uh, started to get your learners to talk to learners from other countries as well. True. We we did we, we did Skype sessions, uh, which is Skypeathon. We did Minecraft. We did um, we did Scratch, coding, simple coding, simple basic coding. We I I I, I created content with them. Uh, I gave them my laptop. They created their own. We did so many projects. We did so many projects. And in that, I realized that almost 70% almost of the learners in every classroom, they are not academics. You may find that 30% of those learners are academics. Now 20% are those ones who are mid-runners who will push hard, push themselves hard. 
and the remaining 50% must work with their hands and we don't have um, schools where they can develop their skills. Even if uh, the system in our country says, if a learner has gone to grade nine, they can go to FET and start uh, doing skills. But you find that learners will go until metric and still go to FET and still start with level two. Then um, I remember there was this learner in my class. It was a boy. He, he couldn't do anything, nothing at all. He was just coming to school in grade six and he was 16 years, very tall. When we spoke to her, sometimes he retaliates. And then I, 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 I approached him. I spoke to him about what does he want to do with his life? And he told me, Point blank. So say, ma'am, uh, you know, I can't make it. I know, I know, I, I'm, I'm a failure. And I, I encouraged him, no, you're not a failure. We can do something. What do you think you can do? Can you do, can you work with your hands? And he said, yes. Because I realized when I introduced the project-based learning and I started, I started with the Marula project at my school where they were doing their own juice and jam. And they were cracking the nuts and I was training them how to cook the indigenous food using the nuts. He somehow was participating, unlike when we were in the classroom. Then I engaged his aunt because he was an orphan as well. His aunt, her aunt uh, was very uh, passionate about him doing something with his life because he said he was not problematic at home. He was just a quiet child. He listens. He does everything. And then I just took the boy using my money, go to a place called Leader. It's called Limpopo Economic Development Agency. I asked them how best can they assist him, and they said, "No, we can assist him. We can. We, we have uh, skills which can be given to him." But unfortunately, around Polokwane, we are already full in that year, so he had to go and study uh, in Leader in in Zanin. And then he went there, he stayed at Nkwankua, he started uh, doing uh, skills. And today, as I'm talking, if I have projects, building projects, he come and do my tilings and I pay him. I think that is absolutely brilliant. And it's one of the problems, I think, in our country is that um, for, for people who are used to or, or, or who are ready to work with their hands um, and do yeah. artisan type stuff, I think that is so yes. important because a lot of people, as you say, they may not be academics. I certainly wasn't an academic while I was at school. And, and in yeah. fact, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. That aside, Makuta, can we talk a little bit about some of your awards? Because you've got, uh, you were the runner-up in the ISPA Super Teacher for ICT integrations in classrooms. Uh, that was back in 2009. In 2015, you were announced as the provincial winner of the National Teaching Award, um, and that was in the Technology Enhanced Teaching category. And you've been recognized as one of the 50 inspiring women in tech for South Africa. I mean, this is yes. amazing. Now, there is this, the, the Global Teacher Prize. Is that still in, in process, or has that been finalized yet? Still in process, and I'm hoping for the best. I need the prize. Uh-huh. And, and I bet <laughs> I know what... I bet I know what you're going to do with the prize. Hey, you're going to put it back into education. Yeah. True, true, because that's my, 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 my intention. I need the prize because we need entrepreneurial skills for, for, the, for, for the community. If you check South Africa, in terms of violence in schools, learners are attacking teachers, they are attacking one another. 
it's just now during the lockdown that things are quiet, but we know we have gangs in our townships. Uh, our youngsters are frustrated. They don't know what to do with their lives. Yeah, you know what? That, that, is, that is one of the big problems in our country. And a lot of people point fingers and say it's the government's fault, it's this one's fault. But it's people like you, Makudu, that are actually doing things that are going to make the difference. And it's one of the reasons people often ask me and say, well, you know, why, why are you still in South Africa? Why are you so passionate about South Africa? And I say, have you ever met the people and spoken to the people? Because the majority of us as South Africans are really, really good people. We have a few bad apples, but we can do so much. I firmly believe we can do so much. And it's people like you, Makuru, that are doing the amazing things. I mean, you're a Microsoft certified engineer. Yeah. How many, you've trained what, over 600 people uh, in, in, across the country in, in computer literacy? Yes, because um, in my second, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I was running face-to-face -face lessons with a program that is approved by the second manager. Provincially, I'm requested within the district to come and train teachers. I have trained teachers uh, since uh, the SchoolNet conference from 2013 from the University of Free State. On the Microsoft platform, the Microsoft um, Hack the Classroom, I will do trainings, and then I will go from school one to school B, just asking them to offer a platform to train teachers. And then wow. I, I've done that. At that time, Microsoft was sponsoring our traveling allowances and our data. That, you know what? I, I, I'm absolutely blown away. And Makuda, I've got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of people and spoken with a lot of people in my life. You're one of the most inspiring people that, that I've, I've spoken to. And Unfortunately, we're running out of time in this chat, and I hope we're going to get to chat again. But tell me, Makuru Machaba, what is next for you? Uh, you know, what are your plans going forward? Because COVID has, has really turned the world upside down for us, but you seem to have a firm grasp on it. So where are you going next? Yeah, uh, being um, uh, let down by COVID to be defined at our homes, it's challenging. But I started a platform called ICT for Peer Collaboration. And in that platform, I hoped to motivate more teachers to do uh, digital learning from uh, the comfort of their homes. Looking at the digital divide into our country, it's, it's very bad, right? Sometimes parents don't have data. I don't know how to do that, but I've engaged uh, people like Sibuza's uh, CEO, Malcolm Moy, and then I, I guess he found me on their social media and he started following us on our platform on the ICT for Peer Collaboration. And he started to engage with him. And I'm telling you, from now on, he is taking the lead to, to, to encourage us to go all out to get the funds. How best can this be done so that all the learners are getting the same privilege? And I think that is so vital. And it's, it's one of the crusades that I've been on for a long time is to try and get data zero rated for learning. You know, I, I don't mind if people have to pay for all the other bits and pieces if they want to watch movies, but for learning, data needs to be zero rated and we need to have access to that uh, for all of our, our, our young people in this country. But Kuda, before I say goodbye to you and, and say thank you, what would the one piece of advice be? that you would give, number one, to teachers or aspiring teachers, and number two, to students who may be listening to this? 
to my fellow peers, um, I want to encourage you that we face so many challenges on daily basis at our work. But don't lose the focus. You have been called to this field to make a change. You have lives that are bestowed in your hands and you must act as a change agent. To the learners, it doesn't matter where you come from. Uh, I want to be looked at as that person who people will look at me and say, because of her, I never gave up. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Makuru Machaba, you are an amazing person. And thank you so much for taking the time out to have a chat to us. And we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. That was my special guest, Mukuru Machaba. This is The Education Show. We'll chat to you again very, very soon. That was The Education Show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A dot net.